All right, but I'll just say a quick note. Most of you may know or now have figured out, but we're not going to be doing the meals on the second and fourth Wednesdays for the time being going forward. Uh, so just make sure you mark that on your calendar. Um, Matt, Matt Samohaw, who's been on staff here for close to 20 years, um, actually has now gone full-time with his restaurant that he bought um, in Homa called Sicily's. If you're not familiar with it, you ought to go over there and, f- and get yourself familiarized with it. It's great pizza, great food, great everything. Matt's cooking's in there, so like it's a it's a guaranteed good deal. So he was he was carrying the majority of that load. Um, so obviously for now, until we kind of work through some of that, we'll put a halt on it. But don't stop coming to Bible study. Just eat at your house like you would have had to do anyway. <laughs> don't be giving me some story about how you had to skip a meal. If you do, just fast and pray. On your way here. All right, so we're continuing to move through our through our series on the attributes of God. Are y'all still y'all still enjoying it? Yeah. Still thankful for it? Yeah, I've been getting the uh, getting the notes. Had a couple people reach out a couple weeks. Actually, a couple weeks in a row, we've had people reach out, didn't make it, wanted the notes so they could fill in. So thank you for caring, even in your absence, to catch up. You're such great students. But this this week we're going to talk about the omnipotence. Of God, the omnipotence of God. I always think it's interesting how all the other ones we say we tend to like really enunciate the omni, but on this one we don't. We kind of make it one big word: omnipotence. We don't say omnipotence, right? I guess that would still be appropriate, right? If we wanted to say it like that. So you could say it like that if you want. Um, yeah. So so what? So omni. What have we learned? Obviously, what this is our third week. What does that mean? All right. And then our second word here, it comes from the Latin word potens. In our English, we say potence. What is, what is that? Powerful, right? What are, some times, what are some ways you use the word potent in your life? Coffee? Coffee smell was potent, yeah. Yeah? I can't think of anything positive when I think of the word potent. Um, other than omnipotence. So... <laughs> I'll leave my examples alone. <laughs> I thought about it even this week. It was kind of funny. For those of you that are part of VBS, um, in, the, in the Bible class where they act out stuff, there's some ladies in there that are acting out the power. You know, they got the power, right? Because it's this idea of a train, and, the, and they're wearing these, like, 80s workout outfits. And it's funny. It's funny. It's a shame that most of you don't get a chance to see some of the acting that goes on in there, it's pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, they straight out of the 80s, straight out of it. I think of Richard Simmons. Uh, but anyway, the whole idea is, the, is power, right? They got weights in there, and they're doing some silly stuff with that and, and the train. But VBS is going great. But So those of you that are part, thank you. And for those of you not a part, pray for them. They got two more days left. You know, those students there would receive the gospel and praying to the Lord, saving, saving some of those kids even this week, right? So it's been, it's been good. But the omnipotence of God, as we've been learning as well with, with the omnisor, is an incommunicable attribute, right? What, is, what does that mean when we say it's an incommunicable attribute? Not one that we can share. Not one that we share in, right? right? We, we don't have all power. Um, we have some elements of power. And we'll see some places in Scripture where, where the Lord does bless us with some access to some of his power, but we don't have, we don't have what he has in all power. 
I love this, and you've got this quote in your text there from a gentleman by the name of Roger Patterson. It says, God is above his creation, not a part of it, and thus he is able to exercise full authority and power. I just thought it was a good way of framing what we're, what we're talking about as we move into this here. When we think about God Almighty in the Bible, what is, what is, what is a, word to just, that, a word that we call God may come to your mind that means God Almighty? Yeah, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, God Almighty. It's mentioned 48 times in the Old Testament. Carries a good bit of weight. First, the first account of it is in Genesis 17.1, and it's when Abraham is about to be given the, the Abrahamic covenant with God. And he talks about he's God Almighty. And then we see it a whole lot in the book of Job, right? right for, good, for good reason there. Job's having to, for a lot of, I mean, excuse me, God's having to take a lot of time there to explain to Job how he's God Almighty. And he really ought to be mindful of his words. I love this here for another quote here from A.W. Tozer. It says, since God has at his command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as he can do anything else. All of his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills lies in himself in undiminished fullness. Wow, pretty descriptive, right? And it's, uh, he's all-powerful. He's, uh, he's omnipotent God. I mean, I also think about our apostles, the Apostles' Creed. We studied this months back. What's, one, what's the starting line in it? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and that's such, a, and that is such an integral part, and it's such an important part of what we believe as a as a Christian. First of all, not just because it's in that creed. Creeds are good; they help us, they, they affirm our belief system, they bring us back to baseline. But God Almighty, and when we see God as Almighty, obviously with implications to the gospel, it allows us to see ourselves rightly in comparison to a holy God. Right, so being a God Almighty is, is of the utmost importance. And we're going to see it works hand in hand with, as all of these have, all the attributes mesh well together. But for those that may not feel that weight, would you want to serve a God that's not Almighty? Would it even be a God? Or should it even be a God? Right? If, if, if it's something that, if you've got a leg up on your God in any way, well, that's, that's, that's a problem there, right? So an almighty God is of the utmost importance. And what we're going to look at tonight is kind of five emphasis, or like I said last week, five elephants, um, five elements of his omnipotence to kind of just get a better picture or to see even more what's, what's dealing with here. And that quote from Tozer, he mentions a couple of these things in here, but we're going to look at a couple of them. The first one is that God has infinite power. Your blank there should read, should now read infinite power. What is infinite? Forever, right? Unlimited, boundless. Every desire he has, he has unlimited power to carry it out. There's no, there's no lack of power that he has. I mean, consider God in creation. Consider the universe, right? There's, there's elements of that that we can't even understand that's in place with his creation. It's just, it's so vast, right? And that's just one area. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. It's kind of two things there. You talk about 
His word and his breath. So by his word, what happened? The heavens were made. And then it says, and by his breath of his mouth, the host. So in the same instance, just the exhaling of air, as the picture it's painting for us, all of the host, all the celestial bodies, all the things that went into that space, and also the angelic beings, everything was there just because of the breath. Now we learn from, from Chad that God is his, of his spirituality, right? So we know that God is spirit. So when we see God described in these ways with, with these terms, what do we call it? What was that big word? Scott? It's not El Shaddai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was well, anthropomorphic? Is that the word? Right? Does that sound right? That sounds very good. Sounds very good? No, A N T H R O. Um, no, so that, remember, God is spirit. So when we see stuff like that, we, we know it's something. It's, it's a way in which it's written for us to have a to better understand and to see what God is actually doing. But the weight that it carries there is just the very words, the very air that came out of His mouth, cast all of this into place. That's powerful, is it not? Jeremiah thirty two seventeen. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. What's interesting, that section of text there, Jeremiah is a prophet. They're, they're about to be taken, they're about to be overtaken by the Chaldeans at that point in history. But right before that, God tells Jeremiah to purchase this piece of property there, this, this piece of land. And Jeremiah's question and saying, I mean, God, I realize that you're big and, all, and nothing's up past you, but what would be the, why are you having me to do this? We're about to, we're about to lose it all. See what the point is. And he recognizes God's omnipotence and the importance of it, but what he, what he obviously has yet to see is that the Lord will, will redeem that back to Israel. And it's not for loss. And it's not for gain, but he's, it's a moment there where he's having the trust, but he, but he sees the true power that God has. He's infinite in all of these situations. I think about that in our, in our own lives, right? Is there certain things that happen in your lives where you kind of are unable to comprehend God's power working in, in your life or in a situation? Why is that? Why can't our minds comprehend some of those things? It's a simple answer. Yeah, we're not God, right? He's almighty. There's a faith that obviously we, we walk out with that. Hebrews 1, 11, 1 and 2. What does it say that faith is? The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Right. So we see this being played out in God's infinite power. But probably the one that I think hits home the most and the one that I wanted to spend a little time on is the fact that God, the Lord's infinite power in salvation. There's infinite power in salvation. When we look at the story in Matthew 19 with the rich young man, you remember the story? Right, he comes to him and essentially, ultimately he, he, he walks away unable to do what the Lord asked him to do. But I think what the, what the disciples say right then is, is just so profound. They say to themselves, after they see this, say, who then can be saved? I mean, if this guy couldn't be saved, he's got all the resources, he's got the access to everything, he can do all these things, but, but yet he couldn't come and follow the Lord. What, I mean, how can anyone be saved? And what is, and what is Jesus' response? 1926. Jesus looked at him and said, With man, this is impossible. And it truly was. So the answer to their question was, was pretty accurate. 
It was impossible for man. But with God, all things are impossible. There's no amount of merit that man brings to the table when it comes to salvation. There's nothing, there's nothing that you or I did to save ourselves. Right? Because as soon as we do, or as soon as we think we do, then what happens to the free gift of grace and faith through the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not free anymore. It's not free anymore. It's not unmerited. We did something for it. Right? The Lord does the saving, not us, but it's in His infinite power that He does so. Because when you think about the situations that He runs up against, right? So you all know your past. How many of you thought there was a time when you weren't unsaved, you were not savable? Yeah? Or at least if you look back now, you were thinking, I sure didn't think I was savable. Sure shouldn't have been savable. Right? It's nothing, it's nothing that we ultimately did. But how many times now in our life, thinking about God's infinite power, we have a family member, a friend, somebody we want to come to faith in the Lord. So we begin to, we talked about this a little bit last week, we begin to run a little bit of PR for God. Right? We try to line them up on the right Sunday with the right preacher, with the right worship team, with the right greeters at the doors, with the right plan for after you go somewhere and everything so that all to get there and find out that the message has nothing to do with them. Ever been there? Well, stop it. God does not need you to save anybody. You don't have to be out there running PR for them. You do need to care deeply for their souls. But my point is, is God has infinite power to reach into any of those situations that seem hopeless and impossible for you, right? I mean, think about, think about all of our lives individually, what the Lord, what He reached into to save us. What many of people would have thought was ultimately impossible. And you got another quote in there from one of my favorite preachers, my favorite preacher. And it says, we don't need to convince them to believe us, but plead with them to believe God. That's, that's what we're doing. Right? We're pleading with people to believe God. We're presenting them with the gospel because He has an infinite power that can reach past and through any and all of these things. And when God acts on someone's life in that way, what we begin to see is another element of God's omnipotence and that God has irresistible power. Irresistible power. What does it mean when something's irresistible? Not a trick question. Unable to resist, right? Too powerful, convincing. How many of you here as husbands and wives, one of you would say that your husband or wife before you married him was irresistible? You had no choice but to marry him. Are y'all laughing because it's not true or because it is true? It is true. Or even after. I would pray that your husband or wife still find you irresistible if you do fall in that category. What about like this car you just had to have or this house or this whatever? Have you ever been in a situation where you just could not resist to do it? Right? So we understand, we understand what it means something to be irresistible. Of course, but when we talk about the level of God from the level of omnipotence, obviously it's a much, much, much greater thing. We see God's irresistible power at work in all things, in salvation, all his purposes moving forward. Job 42, 2, I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah fourteen twenty seven. for the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? What have we learned? What are the answers to those questions? No one, right? 
Isaiah 43.13, Also henceforth I am he, there is none who can deliver from my hand, I work, and who can turn it back? Another question to answer to is no. God is irresistible in his power and his work and what he does. There's nothing that stops it. There's nothing that's going to resist his ultimate work. I think sometimes we, we, we think about this, we, we could possibly think about this with, with Satan. They're like God and Satan in this like tug of war. Have you ever thought about it like that? But it's not true. There's no tug of war. There, there, there is, I mean, God is all powerful. He's almighty. Whatever Satan does is what he's been allowed to do and move about. And then even more importantly, in your life as a believer, Satan doesn't control you. Right now, you still need to follow the Lord's commands and his precepts. You have a responsibility to do so. I heard somebody say the other day that in churches we have kind of two, fun, two fundamental areas that we, where, when we're dealing with people. One is convincing a non-believer that they are in fact controlled by their sin. And convincing a believer that they're not controlled by their sin. Think about that. Right? Because God has, in the believer's life, has, has won. Now, will you still sin? Yes. Do you still have the opportunity to disobey God's commands? Absolutely. But he's also given you the strength to not have to fall into that temptation, to go that direction. So God's irresistible power is at work in many different ways. And as you think about it even further than that, in our third one, is God has inexhaustible power. So irresistible, first one was infinite, then irresistible, and now inexhaustible. Pretty straightforward, inexhaustible, right? How many of you would like to be inexhaustible? What would be the advantage of you being inexhaustible? Never get tired, right? What would you do with never getting tired, Shane? Everything. Jared said he's okay with being exhaustible. It's, it's good you like that anyway because you don't have another choice. Right? No, but we, under, we understand being exhausted, obviously getting to a place of being tired. I was reminded of it last week. I hadn't, I hadn't rode my dirt bike in about three weeks. And I got back on for the first time since me and the bike had a disagreement on a landing. And I was tired. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't ride very long at all. I was like, man, I'm like, feeling like an old man over here. This is terrible. I would have liked to have been inexhaustible in that moment. But when we look at it here in light of God's omnipotence, it's, unde- it's undiminished, his power. No matter how long it goes, no matter how long it lasts, no matter how far it needs to go, it's inexhaustible. It's never growing tired, never growing old. It's the same what? Yesterday, today, and forevermore, right? I love what Isaiah says here in Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. And he says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk. And not faint. That's good stuff. You know, the first thing that jumped out to me, though, Scott, when I was reading that is they don't talk about old people. 
It's only the young people that they, so are they assuming that the old people are just already exhausted? And where does that line of age start? Because I see at verse 30 is where it starts talking about the youth. So is that anything under 30 is youthful? That's bad hermeneutics. That's bad hermeneutics. No, I'm joking. But it is somewhere in there. No, but even the youth grow faint. And that was just some Matt commentary for you. Even the strongest in the society. The picture he's saying is that we're all exhaustible. We all get tired. We all get weak. And especially in comparison to the omnipotence of God and his inexhaustible power. Like, you know, God doesn't have to worry about a second win for you runners, right? He's got endless wins. Jonathan, you ever get, you, you get into your second win often when you run? Never? You just quit before that? How does, how does, how does one know when they get to a second win? I just was wondering. <laughs> so he's just got a really strong first win? Yeah, Chad, do you ever get into your second win when you run? How do you know when you're in your second win? Okay. I guess I just never ran that long <laughs> to get to that point. Um, God has all, also has all the power we need in our lives, right? He says there that picture that they wait on the Lord. They wait on the Lord to renew their strength. There's a patience that comes with that. And not only is it for in our lives for the current sufferings and the trials that we may be walking through, right? Because that's, that's an element that the Lord clearly gives us strength to better walk into. But I also see it even a bigger picture in the macro of, of as we work towards eternity, as we walk out the, the rest of our life here on earth, that the Lord would give us the strength that it takes to walk out our faith, to be able to walk out our relationship with the Lord amongst everything that's going on around us. So he's in the immediate, he's in the here and the now, but also out into our future, already there with enough strength to be able to sustain us and walk us through that. Just so happens that VBS is one of their banner verses is Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things through him who strengthens me, excuse me. So anything that we do is because of what? Of Christ in us, right? Now, sometimes we've, sometimes this, this verse has been mishandled or abused to, to, unto the point that you can go be anything, do anything, go anywhere, whatever, if you follow this verse. But is that what, is that what he's saying? Well, what was the, the, the preceding text of that when Paul was talking? What, what was he saying? He was speaking about what? All of the things he'd been through, right? High and low. Learning how to be, learning how to be content, right? The picture was, is no matter what happened to him in life, he was able to walk in that. He was able to walk through that. It's not just you can do whatever you want, because that's, that's, that's obviously not the context there. But that whatever happened and wherever he was, he was able to do so because of Christ in him. You said something? Yeah, contentment, exactly. Yes, yeah, Psalms 102, 25 and 27 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, and they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Right, the picture is things on this earth, it just, they come and they go. They come and they go. They degrade, they change, they reshape. All these different things happen. But the Lord remains the same. As 
one of the things I keep talking about VBS, but there's so many cool things about that this week. One of the stories on Monday they talked about, they told the kids a story about Ananias. This would be the second Ananias, um, not the one that that got carried out dead from his doorway, but a little bit further on in Acts, the one that had to go speak to Saul, which would then be Paul, right? And I'm thinking, you know, that that's a Philippians 4.13 opportunity for that man right then there. Because it wasn't, he wasn't going to talk to just any old person. He was going to talk to the very man that was coming there, targeting potentially him specifically for persecution. And the Lord tells him to go over there and lay his hands on him and pray for him. Now, think about that. Consider that, right? I mean, we read that kind of, kind of haphazardly. But what a powerful picture of the inexhaustible power moving out in the life of that believer there in that situation. We see this passage repeated in Hebrews, affirming the deity of Christ, that one there in Psalms. And God will outlast His creation. He will outlast His creation. Looking more further at His omnipotence, and the fourth one there, God has incomprehensible power. Incomprehensible power. What does it mean for something to be incomprehensible? Can't understand it, right? Unable to comprehend. Not being able to fully even wrap our minds around this idea of his omnipotence and his power. But as we've said before, I believe it to be such a place of rest, ultimately, too. When we, when we come to an almighty God like this. I love what it says in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of of work within us according to the power at work within us what's the power that's at work within us as a believer Jesus Christ right so kind of looking at a couple of things there the word power there we see in the, in the original language of Greek is the word anybody know what power is dunamis who said it Jane? yeah dunamis dunamis it's the it's an inherent power to God it's there. It resides in God as part of his attributes. That word is used 120 times in the New Testament. Right? Pretty big deal when you see something, some, a word of that used that many times. In the New Testament alone, 120 times. So where we, what, what, what English word do you think we get from that? Dynamite. Dynamite. That's right. It's an inherent power and exists. So that's what that, that's what that picture there is. But let's back, let's, let's back up a little bit. To the previous verses and kind of see how this was how this is playing out here starting in verse 16 it says that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Great section, right? But what we see in verse 20, that power that's at work in us, is a picture of what happens when, when the, all the elements of verse 16 through 19 are played out in our life, in the life of a believer, through the work of salvation. So it says, according to the riches of of his glory. What's the riches of his glory? (coughs) 
riches of his glory. What comes out of the riches of his glory in our life as a believer? Salvation. Yeah, yeah, there's strength to walk in that. It says there a little bit further that we're strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And he gives us a little bit further, being rooted and grounded in what? In love. And not only the love that comes with salvation, but what is also a byproduct of us being saved by the love that we have? What are we able to do with that? Share it. Extend it, right? To to other people, right? Because Because of what Christ has ultimately done in our lives. But this I hear of the next part of being able to comprehend, it says that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. And what? What does it say there? Breath, the length, the height, and the depth. And what's the picture there we see of having all four of those different explanations? Everywhere, right? Every direction. The The whole enchilada, the whole thing is covered and put there, right? That we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when that happens in our life, back to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to what? The power that's at work in us. So that's, that is a small, a small part of the power of God that we, that we get to share in through salvation. Right? We clearly don't have all of the elements of it. But when we, when we are in Christ is when we, we best have any opportunity of, of walking in the power. That's not the, you, and a power to be abused. It's not a power to go do what you want. It's about to name it and claim it in every situation. But it's to walk out. And the main thrust of this whole section here is what? Love. Walking out in love. When I think about... When I think about my life and just other situations and kind of the, the framework of what this text is talking through here, it reminds me, and even, I even thought of the question, have you ever gone through something and you know when you were walking through it and when you was out of it that things were happening to the good that were just not anything you could have done on your own? Maybe the way you said, maybe something you said, maybe the way you responded Maybe the way, you know, I mean, you think about a, a death of a, a lost one, I mean, excuse me, of a loved one, any of those things, and you say, you know what, not too long ago, there was no way I would have, I would have responded in this way. Well, what is, what, what's the difference? What's, what's happened? What's changed? Yeah, work of Christ, right? It's funny, actually, three weeks, three weeks to today, I was thinking about this when I was, as I was kind of reading through some of this as a story it was pretty recent in 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 my life uh rachel it was a wednesday it was three weeks ago today about two o'clock in the afternoon i was i was getting ready i think i was i think i was preaching i was getting ready for bible study she sends me she sends me a couple pictures of herself with a bunch of bruising and and bleeding and she said i just got attacked by a pit bull so I'm thinking, why did you just text message that to me? First of all, I was like, so I'm hurrying up. I call on the phone, and lo and behold, she she walked next door to our neighbor just to go talk and just chit chat, and their and their pit bull their pit bull attacked her, bit her three times, and she was she was able to get away from it. It was it was tied up, 
And so, and as most of you, and, and, and as the story, as I've told this story over the last couple of weeks, most people's initial thought is, "You killed the dog," you know, or you know something something along those something along those lines. And um, and and, I, and I'm telling you this story because, you know, there in and of ourselves, when something happens like that, to where someone that's near and dear to you gets hurt, the initial thought is that there are certain things like that that you want to go through. But you know what's interesting is. We were processing this, and you know they're, they're, they've been. We love them. I mean, it's, they're, they're new neighbors. They've been friends, and we're hoping to reach them, reach them for the gospel, and you know, walking through all those things. And you know, the first person that asked me that, you know, it's, you know, the idea of going next door and shooting and shooting the dog. Uh, you know, I'm thinking. So, well, you know, I said, I just I understand where you're coming from, um, but I just I just don't, you know. Obviously, I can't do that. And obviously, I'm not going to do that. For the record, um, I don't want to go to jail for one. But, but, but most importantly, it's like, and the Lord, and the Lord, you know, as we're talking, I'm trying to figure out about billing fences, and I'm worried about my kids, and all the things that I should be worried about, right? Because if that would have been one of my kids, it probably would be dead or seriously or seriously injured, right? So I have to think through all these ideas of, yeah, I need to build a fence, and then I'm sort of thinking, man, I don't. I don't want to build no fence. First of all, I don't have time. I don't want to spend no money on a fence. And I'm going through all these things, and I'm mauling over this for a week, running all these things through my mind. And I was I was here on a, on a, the next the next week, and I just felt like the Lord just kind of just punched me in the gut. And now I'm not I'm not making any excuse. I don't like pit bulls. For the record, I think it's a I think it's a silly animal to have because of the danger that they present. But in the same token. Putting things in perspective, there's things that I can do to protect my family and, and be okay. But the Lord just said, you know, Matt, he said, and, and he didn't speak to me audibly, let me be clear. This was, a, this was just how I'm verbalizing it. He said, I understand, I get it, you protect your family and so forth and other things. He said, but why are you worried about, you know, a stupid fence and your time and your money and all those other things? He said, I want you to remember that there's four people over there that need the load of the Lord. I said, hmm. Kind of puts things in perspective. Kind of really begins to show us what is most important in life. And as tragic as that is, and as terrible as that is, and as much as I will do what I have to do to protect my family, we can't ever lose sight of the fact that people need to know the Lord. Right? And what if the Lord uses something like that for that? He sure can. He sure does. Why wouldn't He? Now, whether He does or not, I have no idea. But it's in those moments that we know that that power that's in working us is not because of ourselves. Because what would we have done, right? We know what we would do. We know what some of us might still even do in light of that, right? And that's just one. That's just one example. But that power that resides in us is only there because of the Lord's work ultimately in our life, and what He can bring us to do and able to work in. His power and His omnipotence is incomprehensible for us. There's things that don't make sense to us. It just doesn't register. It doesn't click. And that's, and that's okay. And the last part there, that God has a self-consistent power. He has a self-consistent power. In a pretty cheap way, when I thought about, when I saw that point, I was reminded of the movie Aladdin. You ever watch Aladdin? Remember the scene where the, where you, he brings the genie out of the bottle for the first time. And he, you know, it's like by, somewhat by accident, I think. The genie pops up and he begins to give him a stipulations and the list of things that he can do or he can't do, right? 
What's, and he says, I think, he says something to the effect of, first of all, you only get three wishes, and one of your wishes can't be that you get more than three wishes. He says, I can't kill anybody, right? I can't make anybody fall in love, and I can't raise anybody from the dead, right? Some of you, some people was repeating it as I was saying. Y'all watch Aladdin a lot. <laughs> so, now I thought about that from the idea of a lot of times how we can tend to view an all-powerful, an almighty God. That there's like, he can do anything, and I can summon him to do anything. And, and even though we may not say that or verbalize that, and maybe we've, we've grown in our faith, there is, there is a, we do have a propensity to treat God like a genie in the bottle. And that we kind of get him to do what we want him to do when we need to. But first of all, that is a very, very bad view of God. And if you do, you ought to throw that one out. It's, it's blasphemous, right? God's not a genie in a bottle for us to engage at our disposal and to, and to do things for us. But the idea of his self-consistent power, and you think about, you know, it's silly the things that he says he can, you know, I can, he can, he's a genie, he can grant you three wishes, but there's some things he can't do, right? So as we look at this, we look at the self-consistent power and we consider that God's omnipotence works in and with all of his things, He's, his omnipotence is not God just doing what he wants to do. It's consistent with everything else that makes up who God is. God's not just arbitrarily out there, happenstance, rolling the dice, seeing if something's going to work, trying this and trying that. All that he does is consistent with himself. It's consistent with his love and his wrath and his omniscience and His omnipotence, and His omnipresence, and all the ones that we've gone through, His holiness, His spirituality, all of those things, His sovereignty, we'll get to His grace, and His goodness, and His wrath, and His wisdom, and His truthfulness. We'll go through all of those things, and they're all consistent. His power is consistent with all of those things. And I think what ends up being the looming question when we think about God being all-powerful, and can do all things and can do he's inexhaustible and he's irresistible and it's incomprehensible and all these things there's always probably a little part of us in the back of our minds at saying the question well are there things god cannot do are there things god cannot do and there's a part of us that doesn't want to verbalize that to say god cannot do something right but in the same in the same note token what if it's something that would negate one of God's attributes, then he could not do that, right? Follow me? Tracking? Think about it like this. You work with someone, and they've got just a deep conviction in, in the workplace. They absolutely will not, they will not steal time. They will not cheat. They won't even take an ink pen from the break room. Right? We've, all, we've, all, we've all worked. Maybe, yours, maybe you are some of those people. Prayerfully, prayerfully some of you are, Right? When we think about those people in the workplace, and we think about the things they can't do, they can't steal, they can't, they can't hurt another co-worker and so forth, do we see that as a strength or a weakness? Strength, right? Well, that's just such a cheap example of the reality when it comes to God, when it comes to the things that God cannot do that are in contrast to who He is, right? And Scripture gives us a couple, a couple examples of that, that, first of all, this was not an example, but does, God's not going to die. God's not going to lie. And God's all, and another one, he's not going to tempt any of us with evil. That's just a few. Can you think of any other ones that you would say God can't do based upon his attributes? 
Anything else? And just to show you where it's at in the text, Hebrews 6, 18 reads, So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Right? God can't lie. Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. What's actually the opposite of, is true, but whenever his children are tempted, are tempted. What does Scripture tell us? What does God provide? A way out, right? 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that goes back to what I said earlier in the message, that as a believer, we're not controlled by Satan. He doesn't have control of your life. You have the ability to not sin in Christ. What are you doing of yourself? Sin, right? That's when we, that is when we sin. All right, so is there any other ones y'all can think of offhand? Deny himself. Can't deny himself. Right? Right. Can't deny himself. That's right. We learned, we learned last week that him and the son know each other what? Perfectly. If perfect knowledge of one another, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, anything else you think of? Right, so going back through the list, what was the first one? Infinite, right? His power is infinite. Secondly, irresistible. Thirdly, inexhaustible. Fourthly, incomprehensible. And fifthly, self-consistent, right? He works with all of his other attributes. His power works perfectly with all of his other attributes. So each week... And, and, and back to unchanging, we'll be talking about that one. Actually, I think next week, Pastor Kevin will be teaching on his immutability, the fact that God is unchanging, right? We'll be, look, we'll be looking at that. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a great study. But as we kind of close here, look, as we've looked at the omnipotence of God, um, I've asked a question at least the last, last week and this week, and I've said even before with, with the one with holiness. Is what, so what do we do with this information now? What do we do with this? Anybody remember? I added a point to it last week. Should inspire worship, right? It should it should grow our depth of worship for the Lord as we as we see God higher and lifted up, right? Our depth of theology should in fact should impact our depth of our doxology, our worship of God, right? Secondly, draws closer, draw closer to Him, and in connection to that, give us a love for the lost. Right? That we would be out there busy about evangelizing people for the Lord, presenting the gospel. And then I added a third one to us last week, that we don't need to get out there and run PR for God. Right? Let His attributes stand on the reality of what they are. Don't try to make excuses for God, assuming that you are portraying Him correctly. Right? 
God is all powerful. He's able to He's able to hold those things. But dialing it in a little bit more, I wanted us to think about this a little bit more connected to His omnipotence, a little bit more directly. Is and I'll ask you, and I'll start kind of with this question: you know, Do we look for the mighty displays of the Lord's power in our life? Right. Are we thinking about that? Are we considering the work that the Lord's doing in us and around us on a regular basis? Do we ask ourselves that question? I would I I challenge myself to do so and then and write it down. How many of you like to journal and write things down? Yeah? Write it down. When the Lord does something that you see his power on display, make a note of it. Right? And why do you make a note of it? Is it is it because you're gonna forget? Yeah, partly, but what's that meaning? To be able to reflect back on the Lord's faithfulness, right? So consider God's omnipotence and its its work in us and around us. And then secondly, do you trust him to overcome what may be an unsurmountable obstacle for you? Is it an area in your life personally? Is it an area in your family, friends, or work that you, you really have in some ways believe that God can't even work in that? It's possible, right? Right? And if, you, and if you haven't, then great. But begin to think about those things. Or maybe even think about areas and ways that you're not even praying for things to happen in and around you. Right? So many times I think we get in, especially with work or with family, particularly family that's not, that doesn't know the Lord, we just kind of fall into this category of just feeling like it's just, sometimes it just is what it is. Right? They've just been like that my whole life. Well, guess what? When did a thief on the cross come to save in faith moments before death right we look at stuff so much so static in so many situations it's like it's all like right now right in this moment there's a like but realizing that god's sovereignty has however long he has that person on earth to live out and he can save them at any point in that point in in their lives our duty is to exalt christ right to present them with the gospel to consider the places in which we think the Lord can't do any work, trust in Him that He would that He would act in those situations. Right? The idea of walking out in faith. And just four verses here. Let me five verses that are just really just kind of just build this up and build up our faith and help us to see this. Starting with Second Corinthians twelve nine. But He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Right? Realizing it's not in us. Ephesians 3.20 that we read earlier. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. 2 Timothy 1.12 Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I'm, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Your salvation is secure in Christ. It's secure. Jude 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Wow, think about that. And then Revelation 19.1, after this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to who? Our God. Let that resonate in our hearts and our soul of where this power comes from. The omnipotent God who's seated 
high, who's lifted up above his creation, doing all that he wills for his good pleasure, right? And that power that resides in us through salvation, through Christ, through the finished work of the cross. So be confident and be thankful today that he is going to accomplish his will. Remember we talked about last week that in our prayer life, we would pray exactly what the Lord's will is if we, in fact, knew exactly what the Lord knew. But we don't. So therefore, we pray. We seek God's face. We walk in his faith and walk this out and see his power at work around us. Any thoughts? Anything anybody want to add to that? Any questions? All right. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Father, for this night. God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather here. God, as true believers, God, believers of the one true God, God, a God who is high and lifted up. As we learn tonight, God, a God who is omnipotent and who is all-powerful, able to do all that you accomplish. That's the God we serve. God, that's the God we serve. God, and I pray that we would find great rest in that. And that it would be the hope that we have for a future, the hope for tomorrow. And God, that all of the situations that we're walking through, God, there could be some here, Father, that don't know you. God, in my prayer is, Father, that the message of the gospel God, would penetrate deep in their heart. And God, that you would save them, Father. And God, that in that, Father, they would believe you as their Lord and their Savior. And God, for those of us here, God, that have named you, God, that we would grow in greater Christ-likeness. And that our faith would be deepened, that our walk with you would be strengthened through your word, that through your work in our hearts and our lives. God, we love you, and we thank you for this night, and we give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. See you next week.